0: Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Y'all can be seated if you would like. If you wouldn't like, you can stand there all morning. That's fine, too. Uh, I'm at the point right now where you're here, and I'm just good with that. So... I do want to point out the fact that we've been socially distanced for three months and you guys still won't sit in the front row. I mean, you guys are in the front row, but you you sat on the farthest wing from me that you could possibly sit. I know why you sat there, because Mark dances and it's kind of enjoyable to watch him dance, but isn't that true? Unbelievable. Well guys, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Imagine that. Psalm 119, this morning we're going to jump back to verse 89, and we're going to find our time in 89 through 96. Uh, What you guys are going to experience through the next four weeks is going to be extremely encouraging, uh, extremely um, exciting. It is for me. It's been a long time coming, but it's a really exciting time for me in that for the next four weeks, you won't hear me at all. That's amazing. So for the next four weeks, we're going to have each one of our elders as well as the two of our deacons uh, sharing the message each week. And next week, I want you to invite every human being you've ever met in your life because Jacob Dolezal is preaching. And he just gave me daggers. That was awesome. So anyway, so Jacob is going to be preaching, and then Barney is going to back that up, and then Sean is going to be preaching, and then Mark is going to back that up. And I'm very encouraged. They're going to take Psalm 119 uh, and, and continue to walk through where we are in this great Psalm. So I encourage you guys to, uh, to be a part of all of that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, Psalm 119, starting at verse 89. These are the words of God. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me. I shall diligently consider consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. this morning... What I want to spend our time focused on is actually the idea of servanthood, but servanthood has become a a strange idea in our culture, and I think we all understand a bit why. Uh, The term servant, first off, has a very bad connotation to it. Okay. Most people when they hear the word servant, they have a visceral reaction. A visceral reaction is simply the reaction that is in your emotions, but it's not necessarily marked by your logic, by your thought. And so many people say servant and, and they kind of reject that. And so we actually see, we actually see uh, many variations of this playing out inside of the church. One of those would be that people uh, claim that servant position is completely long gone and they stand on the fact that we have been called friends of God. How many of you know that the Bible does tell us that? We are called friends of God. But the Bible doesn't say you're a friend of God and now you're no longer a servant. As a matter of fact, if we put all of the metaphors, all of the things that the Bible says about who we are, it's overwhelming. We're servants of God. We're friends of God. We're sons of God. We're children of God. We're his bride. We're his body. It gets really confusing after <laughs> a long period of time. But the point is that those uh, those identifiers are intended to communicate a truth. So maybe we, we see something like... Uh, John chapter 15, verses 14 through 15. These aren't up on the screen. I just want to give them to you. But you have Jesus speaking to his 12 disciples. And he says to them, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. We all look at that and we go, that's amazing. I'm no longer a servant. I'm a friend of God. But the same Jesus, same Jesus, delivering a parable of, uh, of faithful workers in the kingdom of God, the same Jesus uses this language when, uh, when the master returns, which is definitely... Uh, definitely with the end in mind here's what my point is it's definitely with the end in mind that Jesus brings this story up and says he had three workers and he gave them all certain talents and when he called them back to find out what they had done because of the grace that he had given them because everything they were given was given it was free it was a it was a grace and in view of that mercy they were to bring a return how many of you know that's true for us too in view of mercy, we're supposed to print this in our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's our responsibility. And so Jesus, later on in the Gospels, says this. He says, when those faithful servants come back, the, there are two answers. The one answer is, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, that sounds cheery. Okay? Depart from me, I never knew you. But the second one is, well done, good and faithful friend. No, 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 no. You, you are his friend. That's awesome. He can make you his friend. That's his prerogative. But he says, well done, good and faithful servant. So when we look to the end, we're all clamoring, we're all longing for that statement, aren't we? What we want in our life is to be known as a good and faithful servant. But here's what I want you to understand. You can be God's servant, and you can be his friend. You are God's friend, and... You understand when a friend is true? Look at what Jesus says. You are my friends when you do what I command you. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, okay? But you are his friends when you are listening and obeying and honoring him. But never lose sight of the fact that you're still a servant of the Most High. You're his, okay? So when we get to Psalm 119, verses 89 through 96, we actually zero in on this one verse that just blows me away. I'm going to walk you through this passage step by step, but the one verse that just blows me away is verse 91, which says, they stand this day according to your ordinances for all things are your servants. And here, the word all means all. (laughs) <laughs> and so all things are actually God's servant. It doesn't matter if they, if they follow him or not. What do I mean by that? Well, in order to have an unfaithful servant, it means you are his servant. You're just not doing what he said. Okay? So you have unfaithful servants and you have faithful servants. But all things are God's servants. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk you through servanthood. I'm going to look at this. And then I'm going to zero in on... Uh, a very important aspect of servanthood that we have screwed up in the church. We have crushed this idea. And then I'm going to put all of this into our current cultural situation because we're in weird times, amen? Somebody's not been awake for three months, right? We're in weird times right now, right? So here's what God's Word says. It says, forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. Please highlight that word in your Bible. Your word is settled in heaven. Most of the time, people misunderstand uh, heaven and earth language. I think what happens most of the time is that people confuse heaven and earth language with a locational difference and not a dimensional difference. The difference is dimensional. The difference is not per se, locational, okay? Why do I know this? Because God's kingdom is invading this earth right now. His heaven and earth are to meet. We're supposed to pray that, right? So we need to change our viewpoint. It's dimensional, not locational. So It says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Verse 90, your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Highlight that and underline that in your Bible. Uh, Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations, You established the earth and it stands. Highlight that in your Bible or underline that or take the note heaven, earth, and generations. This is what's so important about what happens in verse 91. In 91, it says they, not it, as in the earth stands, they stand. Now, whatever they is, whatever the antecedent of they is, it can't be the word of God because he goes on to say that that's by which they stand. That's how they stand. They stand this day according to your ordinances. So the only right antecedent for this now, the the root for this, is to say that the heavens and the earth and the generations stand this day according to the ordinances of God. How many of you know that to be true? God spoke and the world was. God made the heavens and the earth, the dimension and the physical. He made them both. So both of those things are by the word of his mouth. And Abraham and all the promises that come forward are a declaration of the word of God. So he spoke a truth into being, right? So what we see now is that the heavens, the generations, and the earth in that order in uh, 89 through 90 are what stand, and they stand in accordance to God's ordinances. And then he says this line. He says, because all things are your servants. So um, where do you fit in heaven, earth, and generations? You fit in generations because he's not talking about time. You fit on earth because you're on earth, right? And you fit as citizens of heaven because why? We're citizens of a kingdom, amen? And that, and that heaven is coming, And it is here, and it is now and not yet. It's amazing how this works, right? So we have the heavens, the generations, and the earth, and all of those stand, and all of those, rightly so, are servants. And this is where we start to get really practical. Because servants do what? They serve. Servants do what? They do what their master says. See, the church for far too long has divorced holiness and obedience from grace and this makes no sense you are saved by grace through faith that is you trust God but in view of mercy what do we do church we obey we obey a servant obeys their master you and I that's what we're called to do obey our master but right there obey our master is the challenge And servanthood, which I alluded to earlier, is is the problem. We view servanthood always viscerally. We, We react negatively, but we are servants of a king. We are therefore then to obey the king. But here's where the world gets it all confused. The world gets it confused when it believes that all servants serve the exact same way. See, what we've done, we did this with leadership years ago. All the leadership guides, all the leadership books, all of the gurus came out, and they started talking about a concept called flat leadership. And what flat leadership communicated was nobody's in charge. How many of you know what that's like at at work, at home? (laughs) Just nobody's in charge. Let your kids run the day. (laughs) Right. Okay, moving on. Okay, so flat leadership, that was the idea. But see, it invaded the church, and we don't realize it. Now, I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to show you what name it goes by now, but the name needs to be redeemed. Okay, The name needs to be redeemed because the name identifies positive attributes and biblical ones. The name that it goes by right now is called servant leadership. Okay, And so what we've done is not only flattened the leadership, but we've also flattened servanthood. And what we said is that every servant has to serve the same. You guys hopefully will see by the end of this that the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. Your family shouldn't operate that way. Society shouldn't operate that way. And when it does, we have the problems we have today. So I'm going to show you how all of it connects. And it's really, really staggering, okay? So let's give you some evidences of this right off the bat first of all, let's deal with the universals of servanthood. There are universals. There are ways that you serve and I serve and we all should serve exactly the same way. What are those ways? Well, those are principal ways. So for example, Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. How many of you know we're all in on this one? okay? We don't get a pass. We're like, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking I should love people, but I'm not good with that kindness thing. And forget patience. Uh, No, not for me. (laughs) No, this is what we're called to do. And servants were told that this is what marks us. We will be patient. We will be kind. We will be loving. We won't lord it over one another. How many of you know that that's also true? Okay? So then, that's a universal, but The Bible goes further and defines those fruit, okay? So for example, the first fruit, we say the fruit of the Spirit is love. But guess what? You don't get to define love, and neither do I. So what does love mean? Well, love is just love. (laughs) No, it's not, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Well, see, I want to be the loving person, but I don't want that patience piece of the fruit of the Spirit. Tough. If you're truly loving, you have to be patient, Have four daughters, you'll learn it quick, okay? So love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. You see, if we just loved like servants were supposed to love, we wouldn't, we wouldn't endure, we wouldn't tolerate the chaos of our world. But what do we do? We don't love very much. We rejoice in unrighteousness. People holding the name Jesus, Christian follower of King of Kings and Lord of Lords, celebrating unrighteousness right in this time. Not according to God's definition of servanthood, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. (laughs) You know where we find the truth, right? The Bible, the Word of God. Why? Because it endures forever. It is the Word that established all things. It is the only thing that doesn't shake or move. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now those are the universal principles of servanthood. We're all supposed to bear fruit. We're all supposed to love according to God's definition. But here's where servanthood is not equal. Here's where servanthood is not equal. In Genesis, we all remember the story of Joseph, right? Joseph was second in command at some point. He got second in command to Pharaoh because of God's favor, because of God's providence. What his brothers intended for evil, God intended for good, and he brought about his end and his purpose. That's what God does. He works all things together for the good of those who love it. And so uh, Joseph ends up second in command to Pharaoh. How many of you know that he could make any call, he could do anything he wanted to, if he told them to save up food and money, they saved up food and money. If he told them to distribute it, they distributed it. And Pharaoh said, it's your call, you do what you want to do, you make the call. So he did this. Joseph was a servant of God, but Joseph was very different than his father Jacob. Jacob's back under a lot of oppression. He's actually on the receiving end of generosity from Egypt in a famine. Yet he's a servant of God as well. And what is he doing? He's actually continuing this promise that God made to Abraham by holding together this 12 tribes, this this family that God had given to him. Mind you, Joseph is lost now, so he's not doing a great job of that, okay? So The point is, they're both servants. Do you know that not everybody in Egypt served the way Joseph did? But Joseph was still the servant of the Pharaoh, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody serving doesn't look exactly the same. Let's skip even further. Let's go to something like uh, Acts chapter 6, choosing the seven. Okay, choosing the seven for what? Well, what was happening was the, uh, the Hellenistic Jews were being, the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so what took place now was that the twelve, that would be the eleven and the one who replaced Judas, Matthias, had come together and they said, we have jobs to do, but there is a job that needs to be done. And so the job to do was to dedicate themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, but the job to be done was to help care for these particular widows because that happens to be a part of the mission of the church of God. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. It says, Now at the time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation, that was the church. Uh, This is where many people get congregational models of church. It's okay, it's just, that's where they get it from, right? So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're acting awful highfalutin, aren't you? Like, don't you think special of yourself? Not at all. Not at all. And look at what happens next. This is really powerful. He says, the twelve summoned the congregation, and they said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, distributing food. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And verse 5 says, and the congregation quit the church and went to the church down the street. Oh, crap. That's not what it says. Okay, so here's what it says. You've been waiting three months for me to say that. Anyway, so three months. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. You can't find approval with a whole congregation ever, anywhere. I'm not even sure you, oh my goodness. I think this is the first time it happened and then it quit. Okay? Church split. Everybody's gone a different way, right? The statement found approval with the whole congregation. Why? Because they knew servanthood wasn't flat. They had no problem believing some were called to this, and some were called to that, and some should serve this way, and some should serve that way. And let me tell you where we've got to get really, really, really ready to get the band-aid ripped off, the scab ripped off of us. That servanthood is most rejected, this this idea that everybody's different, is most rejected between issues of men and women. How many of you know that? It's most rejected. You know what needs to happen? Flat. Not according to the Bible. Not according to the Bible. Why? Not because God doesn't like women. Galatians tells us very clearly, he loves all of us. And in him, in Christ Jesus, there is no distinction. He doesn't see the world that he created like the world sees the world. You're here and you're subpar. He sees us all as servants and then he calls us to different things. And we don't like it. We don't like it because we want to be equal in everything. You are in value. You are in value, and you have a job. You have a role. You have a precious, beautiful, amazing role. This is actually at the core of the issue of why we can't say in our culture, and I'm about to throw into just right into the fire, this is why at the core we can't say without making somebody livid that all lives matter. This is why we can't say it, and here's why. Because you're saying that, I'm saying that you're all equal in value. I'm saying that you're all equal in value. Well, how dare you? How dare me? That's awesome, right? I thought that was a good thing. This is why we can't say it. We have to have some sort of issue, and we cannot just be equal in value. We have to be equal or superior in something, but we've reversed the order of God's leadership. We've jacked everything up, and we've done it completely backwards. We've messed the system up. And by the way, this is the unrighteousness that we've learned is talking, that it talks of in Psalm 119. I know that this is one of those like, oh, here he goes, but it's okay. Here I go, (laughs) right? They served in different ways, men and women. Here's the deal. You know what Ephesians says? Ephesians says this, all y'all be subject to all y'all. That's true. Absolutely true. And you know how many amens I get off of that? A lot more than I get off of what I say next. All y'all submit to all y'all. Oh, yeah. And then verses 22 through the end of chapter 6 tells you how you submit to another person. Wives, you do it this way. Husbands, you do it this way. Children, you do it this way. Fathers, you do it this way. Slaves, because that was actually a thing. Slaves, you do it this way. Masters, you do it this way. You know what our problem is? We don't like being servants. We don't like being servants. But we're really covert at how we overcome it. We say, I'm a servant of Jesus. I just do Jesus my own way. No. I'm a servant of Jesus, and he tells me how to do it. In every way of my life. Am I okay with that? I am. Pretty confident in it, actually. Doesn't make me liked. (laughs) Right? But I'm pretty confident in it. Here's what I do know, that if you serve God, God's way, you will be called to unique things and it's beautiful, but you will never be called to oppress another person. How many of you know that? The scripture says we don't lord it over each other like the Gentiles do. So what happened in the old days or maybe even in your life yesterday, some man came around banging his chest like he's King Kong and acting all stupid. And you saw that as really aggressive, and you said, therefore, men suck at leaders, and they should be done away with. You're wrong, and he is too, (laughs) right? God didn't call men to be King Kong. He called them to love. He called them to lay down their lives. He called them to die for the people around them. See, this is what servant leadership looks like. I am a servant of King Jesus, and he told me to lead this way. That's what servant leadership looks like. Servant leadership, according to the church and according to the world today, is flat everything. Nobody's in charge, and it's complete anarchy. Well, we're about to see that in our culture, too. So this is a problem as we move forward. So let's go back to the psalm, and let's pick this apart in the whopping five and a half minutes I have left. (laughs) Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth, and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances, because your word endures forever. And all things are your servants, and all means all. Verse 9, 92. "If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Now let's zoom in on what governs the servant. The word of God. David literally says here, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. How is delighting in God's law going to prevent you from perishing in affliction? Does that, is that your natural question? Because it's my natural question. I'm going, so, so David, let me get this right. What you're saying is, I would have perished in my affliction if I hadn't had a really good Bible study. Is that what you just said there? That's not what he's saying, okay? He's talking about something important, and that is that the law of God is his delight. Do you know what that word delight means? I can't seem to ever select words right in my notes. That word delight means that you are, that you are overjoyed in a thing, that something becomes your everything. Think Gollum, Lord of the Rings, I had to put that reference in there, right? My precious, God's word is, I don't even, never mind. Three months and you can't even tolerate one Lord of the Rings reference. Anyway, so if your law had been my delight, if, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. The reason David doesn't perish in his affliction is because he knows God's word is true and it will get him through it. He does not believe that the word of God prevents affliction from coming to him. That is a stupid idea, okay? So here's what he says in the same psalm, verse 50. He says, this is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. What does David know about God's word that we might miss in our culture today? It is revival. Most people are wanting revival all kinds of ways. They're wanting a fiery preacher. They're wanting to feel something. They need goosebumps from Jesus or something like this. But the truth is God's word will revive you. Trust it. It will revive you. It does. David found himself in these, quote, dark nights of the soul. That's what we like to say today. Dark nights of the soul. And what did he do? When he was flooding his bed with tears, he remembered God's word and it took him out. It delivered him. It revived him. So David says, if your law had not been my delight, then I actually would have perished in my affliction. Why? Because he would have given in to the culture. He would have given in to the chaos of the world. This is what he's saying. God's word holds me against the lies of the enemy. Church, that's what we're all about. We need to get into his word more because it holds us from that. Do you notice the if-then statement of 92? If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished. It is a natural result, a natural consequence. If this, then this. Therefore, the positive of this, since your law is my delight, I didn't didn't perish in my affliction. I went through it, that fire hurt, but I didn't perish. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. I will never forget your precepts, for by them, revival. See, he just confirmed the point. In the very next verse, skip on down to 94. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. Now, understanding Hebrew language is really fun, okay? Take my word for it if you don't, if you don't want to do it yourself. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The right way of reading that, although that's, that's rendered fine, we just don't read it well. Here's what he says, and I, just want, I want you to track with this. I am yours for I have sought your precepts. What has he said there? I am yours because I obey you. Therefore, my request, save me. Therefore, my request, save me. He does not say, I'm yours, so save me. And if you save me, well, then I'll actually do what you say. It's not what he says, and we, t- we tend to do that, okay? Other translations get that line right. The NASB doesn't do it. So what is he saying here? He says that we are his, we are his when we do what he says. You know, Jesus confirmed this in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 48 through 50. People came and said, Your mother and your brother are outside. They need you to go talk to them. Something's going on. And he says, But Jesus answered, and the word says, But Jesus answered to one of them and said, Who is my mother and my brothers? And he stretched out his hands towards his disciples and he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. How do you know you belong to God? You obey him. That's what a servant does. A servant does it God's way, not your own way. You don't get to make it up, right? You submit to him in all things. So here, here's what we've covered so far. Number one, say, uh, servanthood is often reacted to viscerally because we go, servanthood. Okay, well, lo- leave your emotions behind, okay? Look at what it really is. You're a servant of the only good king. Okay, That king so loves you, he also made you a friend. Isn't that pretty awesome? And just so you know, everybody's a servant. Nobody gets out of it. You don't get to say, well, I'm above the servant rank now. No, 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 no. You may have a different job, but you're still under him. Think about this for pastors and teachers. This is where we get all high and mighty and big in our britches. But here's the truth. Scripture says, when the chief shepherd appears... Y'all can sit down. (laughs) I know some of you are looking for that. But anyway, But the truth is, he ain't returned yet. So, okay, anyway. But when Jesus returns, the chief shepherd, the assistant shepherds, these little guys here on earth, eh, we can sit down. Why? We don't need anybody. I, I can't offer Jesus any advice, trust me. Well, the people at Amelia, Lord... Um, There Anyway, so, no, it doesn't work that way, right? So, visceral reaction, servanthood is good, we serve a good king, he made us a friend. This is important. Servants don't all do the same thing. Stop thinking flatly. We're all equal in our value, we're not equal in our job, in what we're supposed to do. Moms, dads, husbands, wives, kids, uh, slaves, and masters, whatever that looks like today, those all have different responsibilities. Understand, the Bible says so. So you need to trust the master who communicated this. The word that he's written to us endures forever. It never goes away. You don't have to worry about it. And if we'll trust it, it will go well for us. So verse 95 of Psalm 119 says this, The wicked wait for me to destroy me. I shall diligently consider your testimonies. Here's what that doesn't say. (laughs) The wicked wait for me to destroy me. So I'll have a Bible study and it'll all go away. That's not what it says. It also doesn't say the wicked wait for me to destroy me. I'll consider what you have to say. Doesn't say that either. What it says is the wicked are waiting to destroy me. And I am going to diligently focus, give my life, surrender myself to you, your testimonies, your law, your statutes, your commands. Because in them, what do I know? You bring revival. Revival. You bring me back to life. church, I talk about the Bible so much. I know that many people are like, geez, just Bible, 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 Bible. Trust me. When the Spirit of God inspires a book, you should probably listen to it. Okay? And so it's an amazing reality. He has given us his testimonies. But David understands something that he then passes down to his child, Solomon. And you can find this in Proverbs. Proverbs 28, verse 4. But here's what Solomon said that he understood from David, his father, that same verse 95 in Psalm 119. He says this, Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive with them. What, what, What does that mean? And here's where the cultural piece comes in, church, and then we'll wrap it up. Here's where the cultural piece comes in. As servants, we do what our master says. Servants who forsake what the master says You might as well just get on the train because you're praising the wicked. You okay with that? If you forsake the law of God, the way of God, you praise the wicked. Do you think that coincides with 1 Corinthians 13 and love? Doesn't at all. Not for a second. If you forsake what your master has said, then you praise the wicked. But if you don't, for those who keep the law, guess what you do? You strive with the wicked. You rub up against the wicked. And guess what? Although you love your enemy, love still doesn't celebrate unrighteousness. Although you love your enemy, you contend with them and you are holding a culture, listen to me, you are holding a culture from running off a cliff. He gave you a responsibility. He said, you obey me and here's the promise, if you obey me, then you will strive against darkness. The NLT, Strange Translation, New Living Translation, Strange Translation. But they actually get the essence of this verse right. The NLT says, those who forsake the law praise the wicked. But those who keep the law, by doing so, fight with the culture. Or some line like that. Fight fight with the culture fight with the people of iniquity. You know how you fight with the people of iniquity? Do what God says. You don't have to go get a, t- a pitchfork and a torch, right? You don't, you don't have to. I mean, maybe it'd be fun, but you don't, you don't have to, right? What you do is you obey God. Listen, what David understood about this, what David understood was that all things are God's servants. Absolutely everything. If you're in the all things, please raise your hand right now. If you're in the all things, please raise your hand right now. And if you're going to be stubborn with me after three months of not seeing me, I will walk out there and raise your hand for you. Social distancing, bye-bye, okay? Look, Mark Ryan's not going to do it, so I'm going to do junior victory. Okay, so here's the point, church, here's the point. You're in the all. You're the servant of God. Servants of God do what their master says. Doing what your master says is the contention against the culture. Doing what your master says is fighting against the culture. Be obedient, church. I'm grateful that we have a church that says, I want to follow him. I want to honor him. I want to give it everything I've got. I had somebody send me an email this week, and they said, they said, I am 100% on board. I don't know how. And I went, yes, right? Because that just gives me more opportunity to sit down for coffee with people, right? I love that. I enjoy that because you can disciple, and you can train, and you can shepherd as long as you're willing to walk through this with people. Here's what I believe about you. Hopefully, you'll prove me right. What I believe about you is that you all faithfully want to serve our King and our Creator, our Master, because you believe yourself to be His servant and you believe yourself to be His friend, which is great. In doing that, obey Him. Obey Him. If you're a husband, search the scriptures for how you should obey Him. If you're a wife, search the scriptures for how you should be a wife. If you're a child and you can understand these things, search the scriptures to teach you what it means to be an honoring child. If you're, if you're a citizen of the United States, I think everybody here is. Uh, I'm not checking green cards next week either. right? But if you are, then guess what? Be a good citizen. Be a good citizen. If you're a member of the body of Christ, remember that it is not your preference that goes first. The commander-in-chief, King Jesus, said... Consider your brother as more important than yourself. So you can play your games, but remember, if you play this game over here, a little bit of the culture continues to push back. That's what happens. That's what happens. The church is looked at, in many ways, as a laughingstock, as a bunch of hypocrites. Because we say, I serve Jesus, and then when we find a hard passage, we go, I don't like that. And we don't do it. Guess what we're not doing? We're not contending with the culture. We're not striving with them. Instead, what we're doing is forsaking the law of God and consequently, we're praising the wicked. That's dangerous. It's dangerous, church. It's not who we're supposed to be. So here's how he wraps it up. Very last verse. And the whole verse is important (laughs) because it's confusing. I have seen a limit to all perfection. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. So there's an end to perfection. And God's word is just cool and broad. That's not what's being said there. Okay, here is, a, here is the bulky, obnoxious translation of this Hebrew line. But also why English translations don't write it in. All things else, however complete they are, have their limit. They come to an eventual end. But... In antithesis to that, the opposite of that, your law is broad, it is limitless, it is limitless in its breadth, without end in time, past, present, or future. If you read the Hebrew words, you will see, it does not say, hey, there's a limit to perfection, and you just happen to be really wise. (laughs) It's broad. There's a limit to all things that consider themselves good, perfect, but God far exceeds it all indefinitely. Church, we're called to be servants. We are called to be servants. As servants, we must obey the word of God. We must do it his way. Sometimes you're going to be looked, like, looked at as a fool in the world. Sometimes people are going to push back on you and say, that seems very oppressive. And you're going to say, God has a reason. God knows what he's doing. But no matter what God says, it is always good, it is always loving, it is always pure, it is always true, it is right for us. You want to hear that line? Good and faithful servant, well done. The good and faithful servant obeys their master. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at PiercePoint.org for more information.